This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. What a week. What a week. We have started off with a bang in women's basketball. That's right. UConn has won their 100th consecutive game. 100. 100. 100. They kept it That's real. real. Okay. I mean, yes. Okay. Sorry. LaChina Robinson, Tarika Foster Brasby are with you, and we are just in awe of what UConn did to start the week. Um, it's been a fantastic week. Big Monday was awesome, and that is how we went about planning our show. Um, we have some special guests that are going to shine a light on what happened this week, but also what we can look forward to in the week upcoming. We have Rebecca Lobo joining us first and foremost to go through everything from the South Carolina UConn game. And then she's also going to talk to us a little bit about the WNBA. Um, That's right. We'll get Rebecca's hot take on some movement that happened um, in recent news. And then we'll be joined by arguably the hottest team in NCAA women's basketball right now, the Texas Longhorns in the last week. They have taken out two top five teams in Baylor at Baylor and Florida State at Florida State in double overtime. We will have with us Brooke McCarty and Joyner Holmes. And then looking forward to the upcoming week, it is K-Yow Week. That's right, Play for K games happening across women's basketball. We will have with us the executive director of the K-Yow Cancer Fund, Stephanie Glantz. So buckle in as we head into the first quarter. First quarter. Guys, it's the first quarter, and what that means is we are blowing the whistle, and we actually don't have a long list for the first quarter. I've got one item on my clipboard that I wanted to talk to you guys about, and that is the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. That's right. In case you have not heard, the class of 17 for this year's Women's Basketball Hall of Fame has been named, and we just want to take a moment to acknowledge those people, and that is number one. That's right, Cheryl Swoops is going into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. UConn great Carol Walters will head into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Current Middle Tennessee head coach Rick Insel will head in to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. In addition to those people, Sally Bell, longtime official, Christine Grant, um, longtime administrator. I remember her from Iowa. And then Louise O'Neill will go into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. That will happen on Saturday, June the 10th. So we are excited for all of those people and thank them for everything that they have done for the game of basketball. And uh, that's it. That is our first quarter. Now let's head to the second quarter. Second quarter inside the huddle. Like I told the kids, this is great. You're going to be in the history books. It's a lot of a lot of things to talk about. Talk about back, you know, when you're finished. But nobody got a medal tonight for winning anything. You know, that comes in March. So this is something for every kid in our team, every kid that's ever played at Connecticut, everybody that's ever been a part of our program, for them to celebrate this because it belongs to all of them as much as it belongs to this particular team. Those are the words of UConn Huskies head coach Gino Oriema after history was made technically again, right, because they continue to break their own streak. But on Big Monday, they did earn their 100th consecutive win um, over the South Carolina Gamecocks. And as Gino talked about, 
you know, these wins spanned beyond the players that are there now. And actually, he talks about how it started with our first guest. Uh, we are so fortunate on Around the Rim today to have with us none other than UConn Husky great and ESPN analyst Rebecca Lobo. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. <laughs> Thanks for China. <laughs> So, as Gino has said so many times, you know, we watched this game, and we'll get to the actual game itself in a minute, but, um, you know, he talked about the legacy of players that have been a part of this this streak or the first championship or just so many monumental moments during the dynasty that is the UConn Huskies. What, if you had to narrow it down to, you know, a couple qualities that you think have carried this program from where you started this to where it is now what would those qualities be um well i think it's just excellence um it's it's the excellence that they've been able to put together year after year after year and and when i'm asked about the program asked about what they've been able to do um, i mean it all boils down to one thing and that's coach oriam and his staff i firmly believe that if he was a coach uh, anywhere else in the country that he would be able to build the same type of thing. Um, it's the type of players he recruits, the type of basketball he plays. Um, but more than anything else, it's day in and day out in practice, um, what he demands from the players and what he will accept and won't accept from them in terms of effort and execution and all of those things. So, I mean, 11 national championships with different streaks, um, it all boils down to one common denominator, and that is Gino Oriama and his coaching staff. And, um, you know, if you could easily put your finger on, all right, these are the, the, the few things they do, then it would be easy to duplicate. But um, it's just the whole of what, um, of what he makes that program all about. And we, we, I've had this discussion, you know, I even had a discussion on Twitter this week about this because I don't think it can be duplicated. I think the time it, when it happened, I think, you know, a lot of factors go into it. The players, like you said, the coaching, but you know, people always say, well, why can't other programs do this? So you hear all the arguments from, well, you know, people can't get the talent that Gino can get, or um, some people do actually acknowledge, yes, it is coaching as well. And it kind of frustrates me because I feel like you control what you can control, right? So you decide what type of players you recruit. I'm not saying you can get all Americans, but you can get players that have good character, who are fundamentally sound. You can do all of that. You can also control your coaching to, you know, whatever degree. So if you want to be disciplined, um, like Gino is, I mean, I've been to practices. You obviously know from the inside, if you want to, um, you know, make sure the little things are done right every day. You know, if you want to, you know, if a, if a player is not good for your team or cancer for your team, you choose to keep them versus not like there's so many decisions that in my opinion boil down to the coaching staff that's the biggest difference I see because there are a lot of teams that have talent now I mean am I not right doesn't everybody have McDonald's or at least some people have McDonald's all-american level talent and they still can't do what UConn does no you're 100% right I mean China, if people um, could go back and see what the University of Connecticut was like 30 years ago or even 20 years ago when I was there uh it was an okay academic school. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, it, it was not all that appealing of a university to recruit players to. Um, but how did he do it? Was he getting the McDonald's All-Americans, the best players in the country 25 years ago? No. The first national championship team, there were three of us from um, New England. I mean, he doesn't even really get players from New England anymore because players in other parts of the country tend to be better. It is because of what he does and his coaching staff. 
And, and, you know, now the university has turned into a much better academic school. It's, they've actually built a um, downtown around the university that didn't exist before and all that sort of thing. But what he built and how he started, it's because of him, the players who he recruited um, and, 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 and the people he recruited and what standard he held them to and, and what type of players he, he got and what he's been able to build. So, the, you know, can it be d- done elsewhere? Yes, but you need to have the type of personality, the type of coaching style, the ability to hold players accountable all the time that he does. I, I you know, it, I think it's kind of a cop-out, especially this season. You know, well, he gets the best players. You know what? That's not true this year. It's not no. true. There's four, they have four McDonald's All-Americans. There are multiple teams in the country who have more, uh, at least four or more McDonald's All-Americans. They have zero preseason All-Americans this year. Now they've got three on the Naismith's top 30. It's simply not true this more this year, and it's an argument that um, that you can only make this year if, if you're not really paying attention to women's college basketball. Yeah, I agree, and I think just to put a bow on this, you know, it, it is, everybody is not even at this level, right? Even if you're at a mid-major school, like I talk about you know, or a smaller um, elite program like a DePaul. Doug Bruno never gets McDonald's All-Americans. He just doesn't. He can barely get a post player to come to DePaul. But he is right along with a, a bunch of elite programs with making 14 straight NCAA tournaments. You know, he had a season where he beat Duke at Duke to advance to the Final Four. He beat, I mean, excuse me, the Sweet 16. He beat Louisville at Louisville to advance to the Sweet 16. Like, because of his system, because of the fundamentals, like it, it, it's not really about you have to do it at that level. I just think there's a lot of teams that have talent that don't maximize it. And I think coaching has a lot to do with it. Like I, you sit in a ton of practices. I sit in a ton of practices. No one probably gets to see as many practices as 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 talent does. You know what I'm saying? Like we get to see how a lot of people do it. And so I just think even if it's getting your program to the NCAA tournament consistently let's start there okay you're not gonna be connecticut but let's start with just maximizing what you have anyway i'm gonna get off of that for now but let's just for a minute talk about the actual game itself um you were there the environment was amazing it was electric you know huge game and i'm gonna start with the beginning because there were some fans that were pretty heated about the fact that there was an awesome game before uconn south carolina that's right uh, there was another game that night, and it was Texas at Florida State. Okay, we have this is a huge game. This is a top ten matchup. Um, Texas ended up winning in double overtime, ninety two to eighty eight at Florida State. But that game didn't end in time for viewers to see UConn South Carolina on ESPN. So they had to go to ESPN News, which some people said they didn't have, or they had to go to ESPN Watch app, which people didn't have subscriptions to. But how does that work? Or tell me kind of, you know, let's educate the fans on that process of, hey, you know, there are some uncontrollables here that, that you know, are, are beyond our control. Right, of course. And, and forget the people that uh, set their DVR. Um, but at least they got to see yeah. the end of a, the, the great first game. Well, right. you have to understand, you know, because, you know, I'm in studio a lot, so our, our games are generally scheduled two hours apart. But women's college basketball games generally take about an hour 45, an hour 50 minutes. And so a two-hour window is usually safe. Well, for this game, the tips for the UConn game was 9.15. So the, the, the Florida State-Texas game starts at 7. UConn tip at 9.15 should not only be safe, 
to not miss any of the action. But we had a whole pregame show planned. We were thinking, all right, the first game's going to end, you know, well before nine. We'll get like a 20-minute pregame show, uh, Maria, <laughs> Andy, and I, and then we'll lead into the game. So, uh, so you know, I don't think anyone expected. Even if there was an, if there was an overtime, we still would have been all right. But the double overtime just pushed it over the edge. And the one thing ESPN has never done and, and never does they're not going to take you away from an, uh, an overtime game. There's no way they're going to put that game, that Florida State-Texas game, on ESPN News so they can start the UConn game on time. So we're fortunate that ESPN has so many platforms that um, if you had ESPN News um, or the Watch app, you could start watching it there. But, you know, fans at home um, who wanted to watch this game, of course, were disappointed. We were disappointed because we had all this stuff that we wanted to talk about. And really, leading <laughs> right. ESPN, ESPN all day has been in the day before had been promoting the heck out of this game. So um, sometimes stuff like that just happens. Yeah, it does, and it's beyond our control. But fans. Um, to be safe, you should definitely get that ESPN Watch app <laughs> and find your ESPN news station. And we just want to also um, give ESPN some shout outs because I thought that they did a fantastic job on promoting um, this big Monday game, the the 100 theme with UConn playing South Carolina. They blew everything up and actually the ratings were excellent. So um, congrats to you and everyone else that was a part of it. So when we look at the the outcome of this game, you know, I, I honestly was very impressed with South Carolina. Like I saw a South Carolina team that I feel like I really I've never seen before. Very deliberate on the offensive end, very patient, um, very, you know, they discipline wise. They knew what they were looking to get. Um, on offense, and that allowed for a, a a very close game for much of the game. Just your thoughts um, on kind of what you saw there from South Carolina? Yeah, they um, they had a they had a good game plan, and and for the most part, they they stuck with it. And we've seen that a little bit more from South Carolina this year in terms of when they go against um, zones in particular, really having good patience, working the ball around the perimeter, trying and then trying to get their big touches inside. So. Um, you know, it, it worked so well for them for for a long stretch. Um, but, of course, then the question becomes what happens after UConn goes on that inevitable run. And, and it came at the end of the, of the second quarter when UConn went on the 7-0 run. And, and of course, as you know, China, from watching and from playing, it gets a little, more, a little bit harder to keep that patience, to make those extra passes, to work the shot clock down when – you're playing from behind. Um, yeah. But I was really impressed with South Carolina. I was really impressed with Asia Wilson. Um, I mean, we know that she can play, but in, you know, last year she, she missed, missed much of the game because of, um, I don't know if it was a cramp or, or ankle sprain or whatever it was, um, but she looked good. And, and think about it, you know, Kayla Davis is a player who's been up and down all season, up and down. And if she could have had one of her up shooting nights, um, it would have been a much closer game. South Carolina would have spent more time with the lead. So, um, you know, I think obviously they would have preferred to have won, but in that environment with all that hype surrounding it, um, Dawn Staley still has to feel pretty, pretty good about her team's performance. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think you got to come in there with a mindset. I mean, this is a huge game, right? I mean, it's it's been blown up. I'm sure these players have been hearing about it all week and oh, all all season really. We've had this date circled on our calendar, and I thought that they they started that game like they weren't afraid, you know. And and yeah. Dawn has that about her too, and I think her players displayed that. I, there have been some times in the past where I'm like, oh, this game may be bigger. 
than South Carolina can handle. Well, they were ready for this game. So let's look inside the numbers just real quick. You talked about Asia Wilson. She had 17 points, um, five rebounds. You're absolutely right about Kayla Davis. One for 10 from the field, one for six um, from three-point land. And really, I mean, she had zero assists, five turnovers. So tough night from the office from her. And then Alicia Gray has seven points. I know she's been able to play a bigger role, uh, you know, from time to time in terms of her impact, but she was limited as well. Elena Coates had 10 points. She did have 15 rebounds. And one thing that I thought that I was very impressed with was South Carolina's ability to stay out of foul trouble for most of the game. I mean, we've seen their bigs, you know, really rack up some fouls and Don have to go to some different things. And really this team is built. They need their post players on the floor. So I was impressed that they were able to do that, especially with the, the mobility of, of UConn's post, which we'll get to that in a second. I wasn't impressed. I was impressed with Ty Harris. You know, I thought other than, you know, she didn't shoot well, 3-4-11. I thought that she had, she had zero turnovers, which is not easy to do against UConn. Uh, three assists. But I just thought that she had an air about her. Like, I felt like this team was a little bit more under control through stretches. Now. That's through stretches. But you mentioned the end of the second quarter. And third quarter did not start well for South Carolina. They ended up having 10 points in that quarter. And the biggest presence on the floor was Gabby Williams. She had 26 points, 14 rebounds. She was just, I mean, it's just hard to even explain what all that she does on the court. She's a phenomenal athlete. And this is my question for you, Rebecca. Does she have a chance to be National Player of the Year? um, I think it's going to be tough for anyone to be National Player of the Year this year outside of Kelsey Plum, at least, you know, if she continues to perform at the rate that she's performing in terms of her points, assists, or efficiency. Um, But, you know, I think the tough thing with UConn, too, is is if you you think, all right, UConn's the best team in the country and and I'm I'm somebody who's going to vote, um, you know, the best team on the best team in the country is going to get my National Player of the Year vote, it still becomes, all right, so which one is it? Is it Collier, is it Williams, or is it Katie Lusanielsen? Um, that being said, I think Jay Billis is the one who tweeted out a while ago that Gabby Williams is the most, one, of the, one of the most complete players in, in college basketball. I mean, what she does on the defensive end and her rebounding and leading the team oh. in assists, I, I think she's the first <laughs> post player to ever lead UConn in assists. Um, right. I mean, it, she, she's been ridiculous and um and and she's the only player who played 40 minutes for them against South Carolina because he needs her on the floor um but yeah I mean I would I would have no problem if someone said they're voting for Gabby Williams for player for player of the year because she's been phenomenal yeah, we'll talk a little bit about Kelsey Plum in a minute when we do a quick uh, WNBA draft preview. But you're absolutely right. We've been trying to figure out a player we can compare to. I know you were saying somewhat like a Tamika Catchings. I was saying a um, a taller, more effective, offensive Arminty Harrington. You know, like I was just going all over. The, because it's hard to really describe what she does, especially with her size. I mean, it just... And even sometimes I see some Maya in her in terms of her effort, but her numbers have been phenomenal. Uh, Nafisa had 18 points, 8 for 16. I mean, 9 rebounds. She's so overlooked. Um, Katie Lou only had 6 points. And that was what most people say. You know, what if Katie Lou had hit her shots? Like we say, what if Kayla had hit her shots? What if Katie Lou had hit her shots? I did think that Katie Lou had to take more contested shots. I didn't think hers were as wide open as Alicia Gray's or Kayla Davis's were. But... 
nonetheless, that was that. Um, anything else you saw from this game that that you thought about afterwards, or that you know any observations moving forward for UConn or South Carolina? Well, I know she's been a little bit inconsistent this year, but this was another game where Crystal Dangerfield continually made me look around and, and just say, "Wow." Um, she is such a good passer from the point guard spot for Connecticut. Um, and, and I truly believe she's the best passer they've had at point guard um, since Sue Bird. She sees things before they develop. She delivers the ball on the money. And much like her, her performance in the Baylor game for them, it, it really made a difference. And she was impactful. Um, seven assists to only two turnovers in 20 minutes. I mean, she... She can. She just makes a difference when she comes out on the floor, and um, she's been an up and da- up and down this year. But if uh, if she can find a groove in the NCAA tournament, it, it, it provides one more thing that um, makes Connecticut dangerous. Absolutely. I mean, she. We have seen flashes of brilliance from her, and um, you know, I heard some numbers the other night, like UConn could win two hundred straight. So we'll keep our eyes on the Huskies because if that happens. I don't know. I might just pull all of my hair out. Let's just say that. But congratulations to UConn. Um, <laughs> I do want to mention really quickly, uh, we're going back to that Texas-Florida State game. Just wanted to give some props to Texas because the Longhorns have been really on the rise. I mean, it's been a huge stretch of games for them where they come off of beating Baylor last big Monday um, at Baylor with a score of 85-79. to 79. And then now they're being obviously Baylor's ranked number two in that game. And then coming off of beating number four, I believe, Florida State, 92-88 on the road. Brooke McCarty has been sensational. I'm going to use Texas as an example because I want you to tell the fans, and you talk a lot about the eye test when it comes to the NCAA tournament, seeding, those kind of things. Use Texas as, as your example. What impresses you when you use the eye test um, on the Longhorns? I've been really impressed, especially over the last two weeks um, with how they played. Been really impressed with their backcourt play. Uh, the juniors, McCarty and Ariel Atkins, um, have been playing great. Joyner Holmes, just her continued improvement from the beginning of the season on as she kind of finds her place with this team and finds her confidence in, in, in big moments and big games. Um, they're just playing well. They, they, they may, they get, they've been getting the stops when they need to get the stops. Uh, and, and going back to their backcourt, they can just, they make plays and they score. Um, you know, the, they have been um, as tough as, as any team, um, you know, maybe outside of Connecticut over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think Charlie Cream in his latest bracketology has them moving up to a two seed. So, um, it, you know, it, it'll be interesting to watch the rematch between them and Baylor next Monday. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, they're clearly a team that, that is on the rise and is playing consistently well for the last however many weeks. Yeah, I mean, you got to really credit Karen Aston because she took on a tough schedule. This is a team that played Stanford. They played Mississippi State. They played South Carolina. They played UConn. They played Tennessee. I mean, they're non-conference. You were like, what? But you start to see it pay off at times like this. I mean, beating Baylor at Baylor in Waco, that just doesn't happen. And it really came down to executing on some late plays. They make their free throws. And um, going back to, you know, just their style of play, they are so aggressive. And you mentioned the word tough. 
Against Florida State, they had 22nd chance points, 12 fast break points, 19 points off turnovers, and not to mention they had 19 bench points. Now, this is a double overtime game. But I just think when they start moving in transition, like, it's so hard to get in front of them. Joyner Holmes can handle the ball in the full court. Ariel Atkins. So they have multiple players that can push. But I, in my opinion, Brooke McCarty has moved up my rate uh, up the radar as far as just impact players across the country because her motor and just her will to get it done. I mean, she had 29 points against Florida State, eight assists. Um, I just thought she was incredible. So – they passed the eye test. So what, what, can you give me just your, your eye test? I know you talk a lot about that with Maryland as well. What are you looking for in the eye test? <laughs> um, well, you know, of course it comes up specifically with Maryland because of where they've been seated um, in the past couple NCAA reveals, which I completely understand why they're there based on the numbers. I co- it's not like I don't get it, why they're, why they're there in terms of their strength of schedule and RPI and how they schedule them, that sort of thing. But, you know, China, when you watch a lot of basketball um, and, and we look at the stats and, and we look at all of those things, but when you're watching games, um, you, sometimes you just see teams and you come away saying, that team is really good. They're solid at, you know, they, and, and Maryland is one of them. Um, yeah. They've got great guard play. They've got the anchor inside. They've got depth. They have a variety of different weapons that they can bring off the bench. And, and so when I, I was uh, calling their game against Iowa down in College Park, and um, after that I'm just like, there's, there's, I just haven't seen eight teams that are better than Maryland right now. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's just, you know, after looking at all the numbers, you just watch so much basketball and you see a team <laughs> that plays yeah. as completely as they have played. You know, it's not a scientific thing. That's why it's the eye test. Um, yeah. But, yeah. They're, you know, they're and, – and, and for me, too, China, it's other things, too. Like, they have this uh, great energy about their team right now, and I think a lot of it is because of Destiny Slocum. Like, they've had a, quite a few instances where uh, a player, whether it's Slocum or Walker Kimbrough, like, hits a shot – um, near the end of the shot clock or hits a shot at the end of the quarter and the whole bench erupts off the bench and runs out on the court and greets them, the players as they're coming in. Like, that stuff matters. I think that stuff matters. And I think that stuff is an indication of the chemistry on a team and the togetherness of a team. And Maryland has it. And I think even subtle things like that um, make a difference uh, yeah. when, when, you're, when you're watching a team. I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, I, I always look for things like, does a team know, you know, where their shot should be coming from, right? Like, is Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, is Brianna Jones, do they know where their priorities are on the offensive end? Are they, are they glued in on their defensive assignments? You know, like, if they have a certain scheme, are they sticking to it? Are they disciplined? You know, and those are things I know that, you know, as analysts, we kind of understand at that second level. But that's an eye test. You know, that is – there are certain things that we understand uh, – or certain things that a team does that we've seen consistently for those that get to the final four, for those who the elite programs in the country that you can identify that you may not see on paper. So I totally agree with that real quick before we let you go, Rebecca want to switch gears to WNBA again. This is LaChina Robinson. I'm on with um, UConn great and ESPN analyst, Rebecca Lobo. Uh, If the WNBA draft was today and everyone who could declare declared, Talent-wise, in terms of being ready for the league, being impactful in the league, who would be your top three picks? 
<laughs> and you're saying set take aside what the team yeah take team heat out of it <laughs> okay because i mean i mean the one thing yeah. like while, while san antonio who has the number one pick got erica de souza they still need a young big so as yeah. enticing as like diamond de shields would be you would think right now san antonio's pick would be elena coach because right. uh you know even if everyone declares that that is eligible it, it's a slim pickings in terms of um, five players for the draft. It would be Mercedes Russell, Elena Coates and Mercedes Russell, right? And Brianna Jones. Um, so anyway, Diamond is, 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 you know, kind of the diamond in the rough that's out there. She is so talented. She's exactly what WNBA teams tend to look for. Her size, her athletic ability, her skill set. Um, so I think, you know, she would be somewhere in that mix of the top three. Uh, Kelsey Plum is intriguing to me because um, she's so efficient and she's so good uh, in terms of her scoring. This year she um, has even been even better in terms of her assist numbers, around five assists a game. And this is while the other team, uh, her opponents night in and night out, are focusing on her. For the most part, whatever WNBA team she goes to, the opponent's not going to be focusing on her. So she could efficiently provide, you know, at, at the two-guard spot, Whatever, um, whatever scoring your team might need, whether it's starting or off the bench. So, uh, this is this is as as exciting a year, um, you know, because last year we kind of knew which player, you know, you knew which players were available, you knew which were going to be in the top five. This year, there's so much uncertainty um, that it's that it's interesting. But I didn't really answer your question, but I think <laughs> Elena Coates, Elena Coates, Diamond to Shields, for certain. Um, somewhere in that one two mix okay all right all right we'll take it we'll take it and while we're on WNBA um just really quickly to wrap obviously the big news is Elena Deladon signing with the Washington Mystics Christy Tolliver also um signing with the Washington Washington Mystics Mike Tebow has been on his A game in the offseason to say the least but I want to just talk quickly about Deladon just your thoughts on the move because I'll be honest, fans have hit me with a ton of questions from, you know, is it something in Chicago because Sylvia wanted to leave and Candace Dupree left and Christy Tauver left? Um, you know, is this something where Deladon wasn't happy? You know, is this something where Deladon, you know, as she left UConn also wants to leave Chicago because she kind of just wants to do what she wants to do and there's no commitment level? Like, I've heard all kinds of things. Obviously, Elena has said over and over again, she wants to be close to her family. You know, she's always been a family person. So it's totally in line with everything she's always said. But in a nutshell, what are your thoughts on um, her decision to leave Chicago? Well, I think first, um, the one thing you can't attack is Elena Deladon's character, right? I mean, she's right. proven not only to be a quality person, but the relationship she has with her family and her sister Um you can't question that. You can't fault it or anything. I can understand if Chicago fans are disappointed that Elena Deladon wanted to go back home, but you can't question her motivation or her character in, in making that decision. Um, you know, WMA seasons are short, and especially if these teams are going overseas for the wintertime, um, the players have no time to be home around their family. So if there's a way, like Tina Charles did a few years ago, where they can get back home during those four months of the summer, um, I completely understand why that is. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, in setting that aside, Elena Deladon and Christy Tolliver um, <laughs> in Washington, I think makes them a championship contender because 
other than Washington fans, the casual fans don't realize how good Emma Mieseman is. She is one of the best yes. uh, players in the league. You know, she's an all-star. And Coach Tebow is one of the best coaches in the WNBA. This team is going to be so interesting and fun to watch this year because if those players stay healthy and he can get them to gel like he has, um, like he did with his teams in Connecticut when he had stars on the team and, and, and as he's done with his groups in um, D.C., I mean, this is going to be a really fun year to be a Mystics fan. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And the Mystics fans have long deserved this. I mean, they've gotten the short end in the draft lottery. Uh, you know, they're, they used to have the best fans in the WNBA. So there's a lot of excitement going on. You know, they've got a new arena that will be in the mix as far as maybe where some of their games will be held. I know that's, a, you know, uh, something that they've talked a lot about. But I agree with you, you know, in that they will be a contender. And I think, like you said, as far as Deladon, this may give us some insight into maybe what she plans to do in the future as far as playing overseas. That hasn't been what she has done. But I know she planned on doing it this year and unfortunately had a flare-up again with her Lyme disease. Um, but I, I do agree players are making that decision. As Christy Tolver said, hey, I get to go home. The key word is home. And Christy has played many years overseas. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, we always have a great time with you. And um, come back again soon. Thank you, Chana. <laughs> Fans, stay with us because right after this break, we will be joined by the Texas duo of Brooke McCarty and the fantastic freshman Joyner Holmes, as well as the fourth quarter with executive director of the KL Fund, none other than Stephanie Grants. Stick with us. Third quarter. Scouting report. Fans, that is right. It is the third quarter on Around the Rim, and we are excited to welcome in arguably the hottest team in the nation we have with us two members of the texas longhorns we have point guard sensation brooke mccarty and we have the freshman phenom joiner holmes welcome to the show ladies thank you for having us so you guys have won 19 straight games but the reason why i said you're the hottest team in the nation is you've taken down two top five teams in the last week first beating number two at the time the Baylor Lady Bears and then just this past Monday taking down number four Florida State both games on the road Brooke I'll start with you um, what has been the key to this fantastic stretch for your team um, I think the key has been just we're really in tune with each other right now and um, if you watch us on the court you can tell that we're really just feeding off of each other and feeding off of each other's energy and just taking it one game at a time. And so I think the key to our stretch of the, these wins has just been um, focusing on each other and focusing on taking it one day at a time. Now, I mentioned that Florida State win. I did not mention it was in double overtime, a game where you guys really had to come alive strong in the fourth quarter and you were solid in the two overtimes. Joiner, I saw a lot of emotion from you, even on the bench once you fouled out. Um, what was it like winning that game on the road? Um, it, meant to, it meant a lot to us as a team. We knew coming into somebody's home court that we were going to have a dog fight out for us. And with um, me, Kelsey, and Bree fouling out, it was just a good opportunity for all our other players to play and just get a chance to get in the game. And they won the game for us, and we did. We won the game as a team. So I feel like it was a really good team effort, and it was fun. And we had a lot of we had a lot of things going going our way in that game, and 
not many things yeah. going our way at the beginning, but um, it started to help us towards the end, and we just played as a team. So I felt like we pulled it off as a team. Y'all definitely showed a lot of perseverance in that game. And I'm going to get to Baylor in a minute. But I had one question as we, we look at both of these games. Something I noticed about y'all's team is that you're always aggressive. I mean, y'all stay in, in transition mode all the time. And, and you're always playing downhill. What is it that Coach Aston talks to you guys about in terms of the pace of game that you want to play with? Um, I think it's just who our coaches are. They really We really focus on um, transition points and – just kind of playing aggressive the whole game and in our practices um they're very intense and we kind of just push each other and push each other and so when we get into the games it's hard not to carry that uh work ethic over to them and so I think it's just a reflection of what we do in practice and a reflection of our coaches because that's really what their game plan is for us so now we have to talk about uh, another major win now both of y'all from Texas right yes I got two Texas girls on the line. Now, Baylor had not lost at home in almost three years in the Farrell Center. They're the number two team in the country. They had only lost to UConn. Um, Joyner, what, being from Texas and understanding the rivalry, one of my best friends from Texas, I'll tell you, her name is Erin Grant. She played point guard at Texas Tech. She's now an assistant coach at New Mexico, but she tells me all the time that Texas is no joke when it comes to women's basketball, the recruiting, the AAU, and all of that. So what did it mean to go in, and what were the emotions like playing against Baylor at their place? Uh, Me, personally, it was very nerve-wracking because I uh, I am a freshman, so I am kind of young on the team, and I've never really played against Baylor. I've always watched the Baylor and Texas game, but I've never actually played in it. So, like, going into the game, I was very um, excited but really, really nervous, extremely nervous. But I knew that I had the talent and the skill set to play with each and every uh, girl that was going to be on the court. So, when I went out there and I started actually, like, making shots and stuff, I guess um, I got the feel for the game. And then we just kept going on from there. And Brooke hit some tough shots. Ariel hit some tough shots. LaShawn. And so, I just felt like we played as a team and we got the win together. And it was a great night. It was a great ride home and everything. And just being from Texas and playing in front of my family and all my friends and stuff, it was a great feeling. You don't talk like a freshman. I can tell you that. <laughs> you are very you are very mature. Um, let me stick with you on this question because you are a candidate for the National Freshman of the Year. And we, we, when people watch you play, you know, you're 6'3", but you can handle the ball. We hear LeBron. We hear, you know, all these comparisons, obviously, in the women's game. Um, you think about the Candace Parker types who can play inside out. How did you build such a versatile game growing up that you can do so many things even though you're – Six three. Um, honestly, I started like um, when I was like four years old, and I played in an intramural league, so like with girls and boys. And so, like when I started playing with boys, I kind of felt like, okay, yeah, like I kind of got this. Like I'm playing with boys. So, um, but as I got to like middle school, I started playing with more boys and stuff, and they were getting taller and we were getting older. And so, like middle school it led up to like um, high school and stuff. And when I got to high school, like. I guess it was my uh, – well, no, my eighth grade year in middle, in middle school, I um, talked to the coach, the head varsity coach at our school, and she wanted me to come play in, like, a fall league with the varsity team. And so at that point I was kind of like, okay, if she's picking me to play with the varsity team in my eighth grade year, then I might actually have some type of talent or whatnot. And, like, as my high school career took off, I just kind of took off from there. And I knew, like, talking to my mom and my dad and stuff, I knew that, like, I actually had a future in this, and I was going to try to get a scholarship off of it. And luckily, uh, Coach Ashton found me, and I'm here at Texas now. 
So you you didn't always play in the post then. You played guard against the boys? Yes, ma'am. In uh, my sophomore year in high school, I played like the point guard because um, I think our point guard got hurt my sophomore year, so I played the point guard. And then so that's kind of how I developed my like dribbling skills and stuff and my passing skills and stuff like that. Got it. And I love that your your name is Joyner and you were named after Jackie Joyner Kersey. Is that right? That is beautiful. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's I just love that story. Okay, back to you, Brooke, because what people need to understand is this did not happen overnight for you guys. I'm I'm looking again at your non conference schedule and you guys played UConn, you played Stanford, Mississippi State. South Carolina. I mean, your non-conference was was tough, and it seems like you're now starting to reap the benefits of that. Um, what did you guys learn from some of those losses, and even these wins that are going to help you to finish strong during uh, the the close of the season? Um, like you said, our our preseason conference um, was pretty. Our schedule was pretty tough, but I think that it put us in some situations very early on that. We could definitely learn from. Um, we played in front of big crowds. We played against the top teams in the country, and I think that at that moment we couldn't see it because they were all going in the lost column. But um, they benefited us now because in conference we play against those tough teams, and we just play Florida State. And I think we're just used to the atmosphere now, and it kind of um, let us reflect on what we did back then and how far we've come. And so I think it just kind of was a learning step for us and. It taught us to take things day by day and just kind of focus on us and not really focus on everything else. And so I think those games were really beneficial to us in the uh, offseason just because they kind of got us ready for conference play and got us ready to play those big teams that we have coming ahead. And so I think they were really just learning for us. And, Brooke, uh, last question for you. You had 22 points in the win over Baylor, 29 points in 50 minutes in a double overtime win over Florida State. You're, you're so fun to watch. What is your mindset, especially when the game is on the line? What's going through your mind, and how are you able to just come up with so many big plays for your team? I think what's going through my mind is just being out there with my teammates. Um, if you watch this play, it's really fun because as much as, the crowd is enjoying watching the game. We're enjoying each other on the court. And so I just feel like playing with my teammates and kind of just getting everybody involved and seeing how much we can get accomplished in a game or just how much we can grow in one game is just kind of that mindset for me of, like, I'm doing this with my team. And so it's just fun. I mean, if um, going out there is just fun playing with my teammates and just getting them involved and stuff like that. And so I think that I don't really have a – great mindset but it's just like having fun with my team and going out there and getting the win well you guys have been so fun to watch uh please tell coach Aston we said hello she was a guest on our show please tell Tina Thompson who is a very good friend of mine that I said hello she's fantastic and um keep doing y'all's thing I mean it's I know it's a tough stretch to end the season you're at Oklahoma you have Baylor at home Iowa State Kansas State um, but definitely excited about everything happening in Texas. And um, make sure y'all start listening to Around the Rim. Now, y'all are going to have to go back and listen to this interview, right? Okay. All right. I'm going to trust y'all to spread the word how dope this podcast is. The host is amazing. I'll be looking for that on social media, okay? <laughs> well, thank you, ladies. Good luck. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. I have a very special guest um, with us this quarter, and I want to set this up by talking about 
Um, what this time of the year means for college women's basketball, it is play for K week. And what you will see is across ESPN platforms, you'll see a variety of games that will be happening Sunday and Monday in particular, honoring the late head coach um, of NC State, Kay Yao, and also bringing recognition to the cancer to the Kay Yao Cancer Fund. And with us today on the show, we have the executive director of the Kay Yao Cancer Fund, Stephanie Glantz. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thanks, Latina. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're so excited. You know, this is the 11th year of the Play for K games. And again, I mentioned on Sunday and Monday, many teams across the nation will be participating in these efforts that will raise awareness and funds to support women's cancer initiatives. And um, together yeah. with the V Foundation for Cancer Research, the KL Cancer Fund, uh, has provided so much money already, and I'll let you talk about that. Five point two eight million allocated to women's cancer. So, talk to us a little bit about what the what the KL Fund has done, and kind of what you're looking to do um, in the days ahead. Okay, perfect. Well, KL, as you said, was a longtime coach at NC State University, and was a gold medal Olympic coach and Naismith Hall of Fame coach. But the greatest thing about Coach Al was her character and the way she lived her life and you know she was a woman who spent her life giving to others and so it is so appropriate that before she passed away she started the KL Cancer Fund and the KL Cancer Fund now goes on as part of her legacy but it's also giving to others Um, as you noted we have given 5.28 million to women's cancer research and serving the underserved to date and we're still a, a young charity so to speak And it was Coach Al's vision that the KL Cancer Fund would unite all of women's basketball. And it would unite us in a way that we could collectively raise a lot of money across the country through Play for K games. And we could make a huge difference in the fight against all women's cancers. And I'm glad that you noted we are all women's cancers because the signature color is pink. But And that was uh, Coach Al's cancer, it was breast cancer. But we are, are fighting for all women's cancers. And so we're excited and very humbled and feel very blessed to have uh, Play for K games in all 50 states in this country. It's pretty amazing. And uh, great partners uh, with Nike and ESPN and, of course, the V Foundation and the Women's Basketball Coaches Association as well. It's so interesting. And I'm I'm... I'm this is always an inspirational week, but also a tough week for me because having played in the ACC um, against Coach Yao's teams, and you were a huge part of that success as her as her right hand woman um, during those days as uh, at NC State. But when I think about that time for me and and how awesome Coach Yao was and watching her as a coach, but then how inspirational she was in her battle. Uh, through cancer and I wanted you to just talk a little bit about that time for the fans that may not have been a part of that and don't understand just how much of a sacrifice and how and how Mm -hmm. tough and and how much of an inspiration coach Yao really was uh, down the stretch of that fight right it was a pretty remarkable time I mean she's a remarkable person and lived her life in such a way that you know she had great impact and, and influence on others and she really saw coaching as a 
uh, just a vehicle to teach life lessons through the sport of women's basketball. And so during those final stages of her life, um, she continued to coach, and she underwent uh, pretty significant chemo treatments. Um, you know, her immune system was quite low. She had to wear gloves on the sidelines. We had to have a nurse uh, travel with us who sat behind our bench at every game. And But, you know, Coach Al's perseverance and just her her fight was incredible, and she taught all of us so much. And so, you know, I've heard a lot of her former players say, you know, Coach Al taught us those lessons before her, her final battle with cancer. It was just that during her final battle, the whole world saw those lessons in action. And so and some he- of the things that I think Coach Al – um, left us with were her faith, obviously. She had a really strong faith. Uh, her grace, her dignity, her courage, her strength, uh, her perseverance, mental toughness. You know, we talk about players having mental toughness. I've never seen as much mental toughness as we saw in, in Coach Al and during the midst of her battle. And there are a number of stories uh, that I could share it's a remarkable, uh, inspirational time. It was a really tough time, but all of us who were around her, you know, just drew so much from it. And the interesting thing is we continue to draw from it even now. And, you know, I think that's what the country saw, and I think that's why they embraced uh, the KL Cancer Fund and the cause of KL herself and because of the cause. It's a great obviously a great cause for all women's cancer, but it was led by a woman who, uh, as she said, she's very humble, but she said she would be willing to carry the banner for cancer if it would help others. And that's what Coach Al was all about. She was all about giving to others and helping others. And, um, you know, she really inspired a nation and, and continues to do so. I come in contact all the time with coaches and fans and players across the country and they want to talk about Coach Al. They want to tell a story about Coach Al. And there's still a lot of emotion um, around her when they speak about her. So I think that speaks volumes of the person that she was and the legacy that, that she left. Um, and part of it is the, the KL Cancer Fund. And part of it is just her as a person yeah. and the impact that she had on women's basketball. Yeah, and I'm looking right now actually at um, something as you're talking about the lessons that people have learned from Coach Yao. Some of her quotes, when life kicks yeah. you, let it kick you forward. Um, you can't change the direction of the wind, but you can adjust your sails is one of mm-hmm. her famous lines. Well, I, well, you were going to say don't let the urgent get in the way of the important. And then one of my favorites, too, is, and this is so, so true that we have little or no control over what happens to us in life, but we have 100% control over how we will respond. Mm. And that is so true. And, you know, she used to tell our players that, of course, attitude is a choice. And during her battle with cancer, she made a lot of choices to have a great attitude and to be very positive. And, you know, LaChana, she was a person who didn't just see the glass half full. She actually saw the glass overflowing. And she mm. was a woman who lived with a grateful heart. Um, and just every day, I think she prayed for uh, her purpose that day to be fulfilled and to be able to help others and impact others. And so it's, it's, um, 
it's an amazing she's she was an amazing person who lived an amazing life and then just what's happened with the KL Cancer Fund nationally is really remarkable. I, I wanted to talk about the NCAA as well as, as running a free throw challenge for us this year nationally. Um, it's a challenge among coaches to hit the most consecutive free throws, and it's also a challenge among fans across the country. And then there will be a shoot-off on court uh, at the Women's Final Four between the, the winning fan and the winning coach, which will be pretty cool. And, you know, they're also running a text-to-donate campaign for us uh, throughout the NCAA tournament, text-to-donate to the KL Cancer Fund. That's pretty awesome. And then I wanted to speak to this because it, it really is all of women's basketball coming together for all of women's cancers. Uh, the head coaches are writing personal checks across this country, donating to the KL Cancer Fund, in addition to monies raised from their Play for K games. And the assistant coaches have their own campaign. We have an assistant coaches committee made up of 10 assistant coaches all over the country, and they're raising money for uh, mammograms. And then we have an officials campaign, and the officials, over 2,000 officials, are raising money, donating to the KL Cancer Fund. And so it's a pretty, it's a pretty special thing. And I, I think about Coach Al, and I think if she were here, how humbled she would be by all of these people participating in this one cause and, and raising money for the KL Cancer Fund, which in turn will then continue to make a significant impact in the lives of others. And she would be grateful, uh, and she would also encourage us and say, in her southern drawl, you know, y'all, this is awesome. But Aww. we can do more, you know, and we will do yeah. more. And she and she would say that and encourage all of us, and and it is very humbling. And it's But it also uh, makes us, you know, continue to want to do more and to really um, – do our part as she saw it for all of women's basketball to do something for the greater good that far exceeds wins and losses on the court. Wow. So as we're, as people are listening to this podcast, you just gave us so many ways to get involved, coaches, officials. Um, also, please make sure you visit com. Now, if there are people listening that aren't, um, you know, part of the women's basketball fabric, you know, I, let me tell you, fans, you will see an amazing display this weekend. Coaches wearing pink, players wearing pink, officials with pink whistles. Um, you'll see so much. And then ESPN will have coverage both on ESPN.com as well as in the games. But if you're not affiliated with the game, um, how can people get involved in and what is the most urgent need for the KL Fund? You know, you can go to our website, as you referenced, KL.com, and you can learn a lot about uh, Coach Al, why she started this cancer fund, and what the fund has done to date. And you can, you, there's a donate page. It's very simple to, to go on and donate and uh, be a part of what we're trying to do. And, you know, you mentioned the, our partnership with the V Foundation. And our partnership with the V Foundation is when we give a grant we use the Scientific Advisory Committee of the V Foundation, which is awesome. It gives us great credibility because their Scientific Advisory Committee is made up of doctors across this country who vet out the process and the proposal from researchers and decide where and how the money can best be used. And for us, we want to use that money, uh, again, to fight all women's cancer. So we have a, a great partnership with the V when it comes to our grant process. And so we would just appreciate any and all donations, um, 
you know, no, no matter how, how large, no matter how small, it all matters in the fight against cancer. Awesome. Well, fans, we have learned a lot about Coach Yao and also the K. Yao Cancer Fund. Stephanie, we want to thank you. I, I can't think of a better person because, I mean, as you mentioned, everything that Coach Yao was, you are such an example of that same courage, that same oh. grace. Your spirit, um, your faith is it just it just comes through your voice. Like it's it's very so soothing. Oh. I can't explain it, but I, I remember Coach Yao being the same way. I think it was Gil Guesting course that said, you know, when Coach Yao spoke up in a meeting, people listened, and you have that same tone, um, but yet oh. that same respect and authority. So, thank you for everything you're doing, fans. Don't thank forget. You, oh yeah, no worries. We are <laughs> we are here a hundred percent. Coach Yao had a personal effect on on my life. You know, when she was going through. Um, mm-hmm. her battle with cancer and receiving those treatments and, and still coaching even through everything she was going through. I was also going through a, an illness of my own. And I can mm-hmm. tell you, there were days that I felt like giving up the coach Yao inspired me right. to continue That's on great. my journey. So um, I'm so That's thankful awesome. for everything that she did and fans, um, please make sure that you tune in and watch these games, listen to the stories that the broadcasters and coaches will share about Coach Yao and visit kyao.com. Thank you so much, uh, Stephanie, for joining the show. Thank you, Lachan. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Well, fans, with that, that is the end of the show. Please continue to listen to Around the Rim. You can download us on your ESPN app. You can also subscribe on iTunes, um, hashtag around the rim on social media. You can reach us to generate conversation. I am at China Robinson. Our fabulous producer, Tarika Foster Brasby is at she knows sports underscore until next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.